Welcome to Musically Hitched, a podcast featuring the untold stories of entertainment professionals from household names to budding superstars and those still hidden in plain sight. Each life has a soundtrack. Our stories are the lyrics. I'm Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. This This is is Musically Musically Hitched. The music featured in this podcast is the song entitled Power, written and produced by Zach and Crystal Reynolds and featuring Natil. The music is available on digital stores worldwide. If you're new to Musically Hitched, welcome. If you're returning and tuning in again, thank you. Today, we're going to jump into the topic of Black Music Month also known as Black Music Appreciation Month, Barack Obama termed it African American Music Month. We feel that it is important to highlight the accomplishments of Black music creators. We cannot move forward within music history without acknowledging the contributions of Black people, not just on music, but to the economy, to the global culture, to fashion, to TV and film. And we're going to highlight some of these themes that are within the impact of Black music nationwide here in America and also globally. So when did Black Music Month start? What we know is that Kenny Gamble of the Philadelphia Soul duo, uh, Gamble and Huff, went down to Nashville and was inspired by the Country Music Association and the work that they had done to create Country Music Month in October. And so he returned to Philadelphia with a sense of um, empowerment to bring together Black artists, Black musicians, Black creators to create our own month where we celebrate the achievements um, of Black music. And so that was in 1978. And he teamed up with Diana Williams and also uh, DJ Ed Wright. They came together, gained momentum, found supporters. And those supporters, Black and white and of other races, used their power. And within a year, Uh, Jimmy Carter, who was president at that time in 1979, was invited to acknowledge what they had already created. And they is Gamble and Williams and Wright, what they had created as Black Music Month. So on June the 7th, 1979, President Jimmy Carter acknowledged and made a proclamation um, that June would be Black Music Appreciation Month. There is no way in one episode and certainly not in one month where you can accurately highlight the accomplishments, the, the contributions of black musicians, singers, songwriters, producers, executives to the industry at large. So it's a good thing that there is a month that's dedicated to it. We want to shine a light, a really big light on that because it's impossible to talk about music. It's impossible to talk about American culture, uh, particularly American pop culture, and the soundtrack that exists without acknowledging the presence and the power of black music and black music creators. Black music has not only impacted American culture, but we have also touched the global scene. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to talk about several different themes uh, where black history has 
touched, has impacted, has created change, created new movements. Uh, and so, so let's kick it off. Let's talk about this. So the first thing that we want to discuss is community. Community within Black culture includes many different factors. It could be faith and religion. It could be uh, loving your neighbor, right? Um, community also includes music. So when you think about the history of Black music, when you think about American history and how sacred music was created by Black people mm -hmm. in the fields of plantations uh, globally, where Black people sang together and communicated different messages of hope, messages of despair, messages of uh, a future rebellion or revolt within this particular music, what we call spirituals, what we call sacred music. Music has always been a way of expression for us, which led up to the time of civil rights where you had people like Aretha Franklin, who was one of the voices in the music industry to speak about the injustices, whether it was social injustice or racial injustice. Yeah, there's so many um, voices that were heard during that time. Mahalia Jackson is another. Uh, people that had big voices, big confidence, and big conviction were often called upon by leaders of the movement at the time. Uh, the church, as we've discussed numerous times on this episode, is big in the, the black music movement. That is where music was birthed. Um, as we mentioned, slavery. You can't speak about black music and not talk about uh, Negro spirituals, hymns, the music that we had at the time that got us as a people through that horrible era of history is something that evolved into other genres. And those sound beds, those soundtracks, uh, it's impossible to live life without music. That's one of the reasons for this podcast. We're musically hitched, whether we want to admit it or not. The world is, is hitched to music. And that era of history uh, had a soundtrack. And many of the artists during that time that were speaking on behalf of black people were, of course, black artists. So as you think about some of the, the marches, some of the popular black and white TV moments that you see on the screen, you'll see if you watch uh, the speeches, you'll hear, you'll see singers, you'll see artists close by the podium, at the podium, and making a stir, creating an emotional rise with the conviction in their voice and the, using the power of music uh, on that particular platform to help create necessary change. Absolutely, when you think about the March on Washington, when you think about all of the marches within the civil rights movement, even the marches that happen today, there are songs that sound familiar to us, We Shall Overcome, you know, how we join hands together and unify to fight to create change. Mm. It also moves into the eras of war. When you think about this country and the politics is one thing, but the actual battles that we have engaged in as a country, that also created a soundtrack. There are songs that were birthed, particularly by black artists, that spoke to those movements as well. Some of those songs that come to mind are songs like War, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? If you listen closely to the lyrics of those songs, the civil rights movement, again, there was, was a soundtrack for that. But even when we've had 
conflict and wars and battles with other nations. As a people, we've always spoken up and used our voice through the gift of music to help speak truth to power and to, to bring about the change that we thought was necessary. And we often use music to help shine a light on that need as well. Yeah, and we also use music, as we said, to express ourselves. When you think about uh, the culture of hip hop, right? When you think about artists like Public Enemy, um, NWA, where the media pinned them as maybe gangster rappers, when in truth they were talking about their reality, what it was like on the streets of their city. And they were telling the truth so that people would know uh, what their life was actually like. So they wanted to find a way to express themselves in the way, in the form of hip hop. Songs like Fight the Power, uh, 911 is a joke. A lot of uh, songs that, that rang true in like the 80s, the 90s for hip hop. Hip hop was birthed as a, a voice of consciousness. Uh, we mentioned Chuck D and his contributions uh, in the public enemy camp. He often would rephrase, would, would mention that hip hop was like the CNN for black people, a way to express uh, the, the political issues that were going on at the time and particularly things that were plaguing uh, the black community, such as you know police brutality. A lot of the discrimination that was being felt was often just, it just pierced the, the radio stations back in the day because there was a way for us to get out the frustrations that were held on the inside as a people out into the airways. Absolutely. So as we talk about how black music has shaped the community of America, you cannot miss talking about fashion and how when you think about certain songs within black music like My Adidas and Air Force Ones, you know, we think about the group Crisscross that was from Atlanta that wore their clothes backwards. There are different groups throughout black music history that created a movement in fashion. Yeah, hip hop, for example, was not the certainly was not the only genre. But when you think about most recently, a lot of what uh, young people wear today has always been influenced by pop culture and particularly by musicians. And black musicians are no exception to that particular rule. So, like as Crystal said, my Adidas, Run DMC, uh, even into more present day artists, megastars, the Migos, uh, with songs like Versace. Uh, you just, you just, there's so many different ways that we can highlight the impact that black music has had on fashion. Something as simple as wearing uh, baseball caps. Jay-Z is famous for the line, made a Yankee hat more famous than a Yankee can in uh, Empire State of Mind, along with Alicia Keys. So many different examples of how sports as well has been, has become a part of that. The fashion, uh, such as jerseys, uh, basketball sneakers, obviously Jordans, things like that have always been featured in hip hop videos. And you continue to see that in today's times, the impact of black music on fashion just cannot be overstated. And when you think about hip hop in particular and its influence on fashion, it also brought black designers to light, like Dapper Dan, mm. who was in New York City designing right. for all of the hip hop artists and, you know, for a long time was overlooked. 
for his talent. Right. But now in our day, he is one of the premier designers just in general for high fashion because he was doing this long ago, um, you know, in 70s, 80s and 90s and maybe even before then, just using his creativity. So the music also brought attention to the fashion uh, to highlight those creators uh, within the uh, the fashion industry, which collaborated with their music. Yeah, when you think about artists like LL Cool J uh, bringing attention to the brands, let's just Kango, uh, as well as FUBU, Damon John, the founder of FUBU, which many uh, said stood for us, by us, uh, a very popular clothing brand that also used um, the, the sporting image, but with an emphasis on us versus always representing teams, brands that we didn't own. So shout out to Damon John for creating a brand that also had a parallel with his look to sporting events or sporting paraphernalia. He used the the influence of hip hop artists at the time and they wore his clothing in their videos that were mega popular at the time and that helped to spread awareness that not only can we impact our communities with our music, but we can impact fashion avenue with and, our music right and what about the hairstyles yeah. right so clothing and hairstyles kind of, of go together when you think about you know mary j blige and how she wore that asymmetrical style right. uh, to other artists that wore high top fades mm-hmm. you know fashion and hair you know all of this works together and you still see it today where we have a resurgence of the styles from the 70s the bell bottoms yeah. where the soul and r&b groups were wearing those those particular pieces and then their hair you know came into play with that whether it was wearing afros or different styles that just fit the time. Yeah, you can't think about 70s music, dis- the disco era. You can't think about Earth, Wind and & Fire and and different groups like that without thinking about afros and bell bottoms and and, and high platform shoes. That was just uh, the, the times that we were living in when you think about Don Cornelius on Soul Train. You think about afros. You think about people that were well-dressed, suited and booted, right? So black music has always had a a physical, tangible look attached to it. And that is true going all the way back to the, the 20s, the 30s, when you think about jazz artists and how people used to dress back in those days. Uh, but our music has always been a way to self-express and that lends itself, as we said, to fashion and the outward expression. Zach, what about uh, black music as big business, specifically going back to hip hop? When you think about people like Jay-Z and Master P, when you think about uh, Sean Combs and how they started their own labels, which gave them an opportunity to be in a seat of power and connecting it to fashion again, you had the not only the creation of Rockefeller Records, which also led to Rock Aware. Mm hmm. Yeah, Bad Boy, of course, and uh, Sean. Sean John, Diddy Combs, he created, created Sean, Sean John. John. Mm-hmm. It's just there's uh, again we've already mentioned Damon John. There's no numerous people that uh, when you think about black music, it didn't happen like this in the beginning. But over time, you've had artists to just develop into entrepreneurs. I've said many times, uh, of course, as you know, uh, listeners out there, musicians are entrepreneurs, and so when you're creating music, you're creating a product. And that product can often give birth to other products. And in this case, in the, in the big business that Crystal was talking about and specifically, there's fashion. It's also translated to 
things these days, such as uh, headphones like Beats by Dre. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways that music has spawned uh, products, shoes, hats, jerseys, you name it. I mean, these days you've got artists that are uh, operating now as as real estate moguls, um, car dealership owners, you name it. It's probably been done by a black music artist by way of their musical influence. They have expanded their empires into realms of business that in the past would have been unthinkable, would have been un impossible to access. Uh, as you mentioned, Master P. Mm -hmm. uh, was able through his business acumen. Master P had a record store in Richmond, California that was called No Limit Records. It didn't start with uh, the Dirty South and the, the New Orleans style rap. Right. He was actually selling records, like physical records that where you had to go to today, we just download everything, right? Or stream it. But back in the day, those of us that are old enough remember, we used to have to go to record stores. Mm -hmm. Master P was in that line of the music business before he ever even started uh, becoming known as the Master P that we know him today. And so selling records out of a store, you know, that was one of his first forays into the music business. And then he was, you know, basically distributing hip hop. He gave local artists an opportunity through his No Limit Records to be distributed on that side of the country. And he became an artist himself in the process and through understanding how to produce and create and distribute products by being a record store owner, it totally informed him about how to hit the streets, get the word out. And he also had a built-in platform to sell his own independent music. And when you think about what he accomplished long-term with arguably the, the greatest deal in the music industry, as far as the, you know, favoring an artist, the outcomes of his deal financially at the time, nobody had a better deal than, than him, than Michael Jackson. You know, he famously met with Michael Jackson's attorney at the time. And he told him the only way you're going to be able to beat Mike's deal would be to get a distribution deal. And that's exactly long story short, you can do them. You do your own research on masterpiece, easy to find on the internet. He did secure that deal and became one of the highest grossing highest earning hip hop artists, black artists, black musicians, black entertainers of all time, big business. Do you feel that social media has impacted the big business of music? And what I mean by that, when you were talking yeah, about Master question. P, you know, Master P also has food products and he has clothing right. items, you know, a right. myriad of products that he provides to you know, people globally, but also on the other side of this, there's the goodwill work that's being done. So on the other side of big business is the focus on community where the dollars are put back into the black community, whether it's through charity work, um, just finding a cause locally or regionally or nationally and pouring those resources into the community. So it's not just fighting the power, but it's also uh, giving money so that the right powers can get into office to make the decisions um, influencing our legislation and, and the things that help us to live our daily lives as Americans with our laws. Yeah. So going back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, black music has long conveyed the hopes and struggles of a resilient people. So when you think about the various genres that black music has, has inspired, I mean, we're talking about, rhythm and blues, R&B, to jazz, 
We're talking about gospel, of course, country music, rap, and even more. So in this particular month, as we celebrate black music on American culture, we want to just continue to highlight, ponder, meditate on the impact that it has had on the global economy, not just our economy or not just the, the black community's economy, but the global economy. Right. So let's touch on new music movements. When you start with a person like Rosetta Tharp, who came from the church, who was an amazing instrumentalist and singer who played the guitar, mm-hmm. you know, she was looked at in an interesting way because as a woman at that time, you were expected to be domesticated, but she wanted to use her talent in a different way. And so she was the precursor for rock and roll. She used the, the gospel training that she had and, and put on a, a great show for people and and her performances uh, were a lot of times televised um, and she was, you know, featured as an artist playing with the likes of, of many folks who were well known around the world. But new music movements, let's touch on that because you can't just stay with uh, Rosetta Tharp, but you have to go into people like Miles Davis, who created Cool Jazz, Chuck Berry, uh, to Barry Gordy. I mean, the stories are endless as to how strong of an impact that we've had on music in the creation of new movements. Yeah, without Rosetta Tharp, there is no... Elvis Presley. There is no her. (laughs) There's no Chuck Berry. There's no Jimi Hendrix. These are the the godfathers and the godmothers of music, right? And so the genres that we know and that we love, that we hear all over the world, you can trace it back to a black musician, right? A black singer, a black guitar player, a black pianist. And yeah, Miles Davis being responsible for uh, what is known as cool jazz, mm-hmm. uh, Chuck Berry inspiring the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, these iconic artists that everybody knows and loves. Sometimes you may not go back far enough to realize where did they get their inspiration from? That inspiration can often be traced in most cases back to black music. Absolutely. Then we have Ray Charles, you know, who most of us don't even realize that he had a fingerprint in country music. So we think about, you know, the different songs that he published, right, that he sang that were played on the radio or that were performed on television. But we overlook his contribution to country music specifically. One of the the records that people are very fond of is the Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music. Very classic album for Ray Charles. Yeah, Ray put his spin on a lot of genres. I mean, obviously, blues obviously soul music, but you know, you don't, you don't think about country sometime when you, when you think Ray Charles, but he was so versatile as a musician gospel. I mean, he could, he could do it all. He could do it all. So again, without Ray Charles, you know, there's Stevie wonder is, is an icon all on his own. But before that was Stevie showing us how to, you know, not be limited by anything, right? Your music can be expressed regardless of who you are, where you're, where you're from. Ray Charles was doing that back in the day with, with many of the issues of the times mm-hmm. plaguing him, holding him back. He wasn't able to, to sleep in hotels, uh, like other artists that he was making more, more, uh, more noise than if you will, back in the day, uh, and not being able to eat in certain environments, even though he could entertain, he may not be able to eat in the same restaurants as those that would pay to see him perform. 
Um, so for him to, to, to dive into what has long been uh, a genre that has been dominated uh, by Caucasians, Ray Charles made a huge, huge impact with that particular product. And as again, has spawned the opportunities today for many of the black artists, such as uh, Mickey Guyton, right? A right. Darius Rucker. Some of these people today that are having great success in country music, if they, you know, if they are doing their homework, they are able to go back as far as Ray Charles and Charlie Pride and different people who made country music uh, and showed that black people could literally make any genre. Um, when you get into the idea of funk and soul music, is it possible for hip hop to exist without James Brown? It's possible, but it would not be as strong, I think, um, without some of those tracks that we hear that were sampled by James, James Brown. James Brown is arguably the most sampled artist. Yes. Certainly in hip hop, maybe of all time, and certainly has to be, if not number one, has to be in your top <laughs> two, three of sampled artists, most sampled artists of all time. They're just numerous, numerous grooves and and locks and phrases and beats that he and his camp produced that have just created literally another genre. A whole nother genre was created just from pieces of James Brown's music. Right. I mean, his music was so lively with the horns, including people like the Ohio players in some of his music. And, you know, everything is in the groove and it had to be right. And his movements and his performance were just on another level. And I remember vividly seeing um, one of his concerts was filmed during a very difficult time. I'm trying to recall the incident that happened like on that day. And a lot of, you know, the black people were very upset about what had just happened. And he calmed down the crowd and he talked to them and he said, now, you know, we want to continue to show, but I'm going to need y'all to act like you got some sense. You know what I'm saying? So the power that black musicians had during those turbulent times was mesmerizing because they brought people together through the music. And James Brown was definitely one of those folks. But his talent definitely has um, been something in his music that has spanned different eras. And, and yes, he is the most simple artist of all time. Yeah, but he was also one of the boldest artists of all time, you know, to 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 confidently proclaim, you know, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Right. That was, a, of course, obviously a huge social justice uh, song, uh, a message that would reverberated around the world. It gave uh, the movement, again, another song on its soundtrack uh, that allowed people to feel empowered, to feel encouraged, and to, to know their self-worth and to not be afraid to say it out loud. He had a platform he was not afraid to use it. He used it. He used it well. So it was not just his dance moves. It was what was coming out of his mouth and what he was saying, even when he wasn't doing a spin move, even when he wasn't, you know, making his mic stand, come back up from mm -hmm. the from the ground and levitate. It seemed like he was levitating in midair at mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. He was always grounded and rooted in the changes that needed to be happening as a and as a black entertainer. He used his platform. He wasn't perfect, but neither artist today. But he is arguably one that always took the opportunities to speak out and to use his fame and his and his and his influence in a in a world of influencers today and social media influencers. James Brown, you know, cannot be overstated as one who used his platform and used it well to create 
positive change. Well, his boldness touch artists like George Clinton when you think about the style of George Clinton and how he was so different with his funkadelic and parliament groups, you know, Sly and the Family Stone, where he showed the unity amongst black and white people in his group alone, but just in the way that they presented themselves. Um, also touching artists like Michael Jackson, who has said, um, and if you read in, you know, different stories about Michael Jackson and how he studied James Brown. So his freedom in his recording, if you listen to some of his recordings in studio recordings, you'll hear and you'll also see on stage how James Brown has his fingerprint on Michael Jackson as well. So we can say so much about James Brown, but there's so many others that we would like to highlight um, still within black music specifically. So we're talking about new music movements. I'm going back to Ray Charles. One thing that I wanted to add is how he was an example of black musicians owning their masters. Mm -hmm. How you hear about nowadays, people are fighting to do that now. And we know it takes resources and influence to do that. But in the early days, Ray Charles did it. Yeah, he was doing that back then. Or was 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 advocating for it, demanded it, and ownership is important. We can't we can't talk about um, black music without talking about how much of the music industry landscape has literally just you know survived off of the genres that black people created, and not owning or having ownership in those those masters. Is something that, you know, obviously has been a topic, it's been taboo, but it's important to understand that the music was created by us and ultimately what you create, you should own. So we have a few more topics. Let's let's talk about TV and film. Back in the 80s when Michael Jackson jumped out and became a solo artist, People knew about him, but not as much on a global scale as when his first music video was played on MTV, right? So whether you knew it or not, black artists were not featured on MTV music television until 1983. So smash hits like Billie Jean uh, were played for the first time on that particular platform. And it opened up a door for all the other artists um, that were played on MTV and just giving them more exposure. People like Whitney Houston and Prince, um, you know, followed Michael Jackson in that line of black artists who were finally granted the opportunity to be seen versus just heard. Isn't that hard to believe on that? MTV. Isn't yeah. that hard to believe that Michael Jackson, as massive as he was, the right? known before his family his death as the king of pop Mm -hmm. and certainly still recognizes that today at one point it was not possible during a very very uh successful part of his career he still could not get on mainstream television with his music right imagine that being the case still Think about the body of work that Michael Jackson created and how it almost was never seen. It could have only been heard. So his artistic abilities could have been heard, but not seen. Mm -hmm. Part of the whole, uh, the whole allure of Michael Jackson was his dance moves, (laughs) being able to see him perform again, fashion, 
the impact mm-hmm. that Michael Jackson had on fashion. Right. The you gloves, know, like socks. loafers, black loafers with white socks, high water pants. The glove. Glove a glove a glove. Leather right? jacket. Leather jacket. Like you can see it in your head as you talk about it. And to not be able to see that would have been life changing in the wrong way for the <laughs> music economy in general. You've got, you know, the greatest the album the artist with the greatest selling album of all time still to this day cannot get his music on the most at the time, the most popular music video platform. Mm -hmm. Like we just, you know, it's easy to overlook that, but that's how, how powerful again, black music appreciation month, why it's necessary uh, to highlight the accomplishments of black musicians and black entertainers, because without these artists, there, there is no industry. There is right. no music business at all. There's nothing to really even talk about, but just to think that their creations were were potentially not even going to be seen without others speaking up and saying, "Hey, you know, if 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 he can't be on here, then we can't either." There were definitely white people and non-white people who spoke up on behalf of artists who right. believed in the music and used their platform, used their, their influence and yes. their power at the time to say, "No, no, 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 no. This artist." name Michael Jackson will be heard. Mm -hmm. This artist will be seen. This artist will be brought to the limelight because this is special. This only happens once in a lifetime, an artist like this. We may not see this again. We're going to make this happen. Now, what about Prince with Purple Rain? You know, he had a feature film entitled Purple Rain, Mm -hmm. right? So he was on the big screen as well. Whitney Houston, when she broke through with The Bodyguard in 92, with Kevin Costner, I mean, the soundtrack alone was uh, so 40 million albums. So, you know, the massive success of this particular project was because she was able to be seen and not just heard from just her voice. Her acting skills were put on display as well. So TV and film and black music, um, you know, working together, in a sense, created more positioning for black people. When you think about Michael Jackson and the endorsement that came from Pepsi, you know, all of those things followed that first video that was played on MTV. Right. Yeah. So, again, there's no there's there's no understating the impact of black music on TV and film. I mean, just over time, you just you can see it in every soundtrack that's ever been created. Let's go to the movies. I mean, you see, you know. The, the scores and scores and scores of the music. Wiz. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Barry Quincy, Gordon. Quincy Jones and Quincy Jones. Being the, the musical mind behind that, you know, a lot of people think about Thriller with, with Quincy Jones, but they may not think about the Wiz. That was actually how he and Michael Jackson met in the mm-hmm. first place. That was that was their first time working together. And of course, uh literally the 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 magic that they made, literally the rest was history and it still stands to this day. So T V and film and and black music as a part of that, you know, they're inseparable. It's 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 not even possible. Again, like we said, that would be a whole nother episode by itself, just to talk about the 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 presence of black music in film, even down to the kid stuff. Like when you go to when we go to movies like Sing, what is Sing One and Two, you know, with our daughter, we've heard music from from we've mentioned the artist already on this episode, you know, to so for them to be able to be introduced to it, you know, at, at five and six and seven years old and be dancing to the music. And I'm like, man, it's amazing. This music 
is now touching a generation that these artists never saw. Right. And then you have artists like Lauren Hill, who was in Sister Act 2, you know, at the time when she was working with group like the Fugees and then she broke out as a solo artist. So film gave people uh, just the positioning to be seen and heard on a global scale. So as we conclude our discussion today in this episode, again, this is just a, a mammoth topic. This month, yeah. we want all of our listeners and, and, you know, to share this information. Make sure that you let, you know, somebody know that it's Black Music Month and Black Music Appreciation Month. If you didn't know, uh, let's, let's, let's put an, an emphasis on the, the attention that it rightfully deserves. It cannot be hidden, you know, and that's, that's not something that is ever going to be possible. But it is possible to not acknowledge appropriately. So when we talk about some of the honors and the recognition since it cannot be hidden, uh, as we close, what are some of the highest honors that you think we could just, you know, share a few of, just a, just a few that may bring the impact of black music to light? Well, I think when you look at Kendrick Lamar, who's a hip hop artist, he won a Pulitzer Prize, a literary award for his album entitled Damn. Uh, Amir Thompson, professionally known as Questlove, has won numerous awards, including an Oscar uh, for his film Summer of Soul or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. And then you have John Legend, who is the only black male um, who we call an EGOT. And this is a person who has won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. So he holds that highest honor as well. Um, and also, of course, Whoopi Goldberg is an EGOT. She's the only black female. So when we talk about black music, there are so many others who are also in this category that have achieved highest honors. Quincy Jones and Beyonce are currently tied for most Grammy wins all time with 28 wins each. Right, yeah. So, you know, this is in no way an exhausted list of names within Black music. We want you to go back and do your research. This is just piquing your interest and informing you so that you can start uh, conversations and discussions amongst you and your community. Um, and ultimately, we want to shine a light because Black music is rich. Black music will never die. Black music is global. It's not a phenomenon, but it is a lasting legacy. Um, and so we honor those creators, musicians, singers, producers, engineers, behind the scene folks um, who have contributed to this economic engine of black music, past, present, and future. Yeah. So let's continue to celebrate black artistry, black music, download it, stream it, buy it, buy it, tell somebody else about it. Make sure that you do your part as a listener. We do our part as podcast hosts, as music creators. It takes everyone doing their part to shine the appropriate light uh, that black music just so rightfully deserves. Just like black history cannot be confined to February, black music history and both past and present certainly will not be confined to June. It's, a, it's an annual year-long party. It's an annual year-long celebration. And again, it, without it, we can't be musically hitched. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on this next episode. To our listeners, we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's content, be sure to like and subscribe so that you'll always be notified of new episodes. 
This is Zach Reynolds Jr. And I'm Crystal Reynolds. We look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Musically Hitched. Hitched.